Your word declares that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it's only because of the work that your son did on that cross that we can say we are saved. That we can say we are the redeemed. That we can say that we've been forgiven. Father, our prayer tonight is that your spirit would even be in this house. Your word declares with just two or three are gathered in my name that they're in the midst of them I will be. So as we know that you're here, Father, make yourself known among your children. Let your power flow through us. Your spirit minister to broken hearts and broken lives alike. Father, that you would begin to mend the brokenness. For your word declares that you came to set the captives free. How? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon us. You called us to proclaim the good news, Father. Tonight we celebrate. We thank you. To be able to host your presence here tonight, Father. Not in this building, but in our hearts. For these are the vessels you inhabit, not buildings, Father. We thank you. Come on, just give them another few seconds of worship. Just tell them how much you love them tonight. Tell them how much you are thankful tonight. That's right. With your hands, with your mouth, we we thank you, Father. We give you praise tonight, God. Make your presence known here among your children, here as in heaven. I wish you would lift your voice tonight to the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sets the captive free, the only God who ever opened the eyes of the blind. I wish you would praise him tonight. I wish you would glorify him, lift up his name, lift up his name tonight. We honor you, God. You God, we worship you. You are worthy. We give you praise for your sacrifice. We thank you for the Lamb of God. We thank you, Lord. We honor, we praise you tonight. Come on, give him 30 more seconds of worship. Just lift your voice to him. I love you, God. Shout to him that you love him. Lay it before him tonight, your whole heart. Oh, we worship you, God. We worship you, Lord. on surely he's here tonight worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb you see I think that some days the power and the the, the, the depth of what Christ did on the cross we don't celebrate it every day 
We don't wake up every morning and say, oh, I thank you for dying on the cross and although we should. I just feel that today is one of those days we should celebrate the work of Christ on the cross. That we should make it known how appreciative we are. Because sometimes we'll be really vocal and appreciative of a wife when she does something or a husband or a friend when they give you a ride or somebody jumped your car when the battery died. And you're like, thank you so much. I can. Do you want some money? Do you want this? No, you're good. Thank you so much. And then when it comes to God, we're like, thank you, Lord. Offering basket. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I praise you. But we should lift our voices. The Bible says, cry out to him. It says, shout out to the Lord, all ye nations. It says, give thanks to him with a loud voice. It says, oh, Jerusalem, lift up your voices. It says in the book of Psalms, oh, you mighty ones, declare the works of the Lord. Declare them throughout the nations. I, I dare somebody tonight to let a crazy praise get out of you. Say, God, I'm just thankful. If you've got nothing to say, just say, God, I'm thankful. I don't know where I would be if not for the cross tonight, if not for the work of Christ. I don't know where I would be. I wish you were lifted up in this house tonight. We worship you, God. Your people are thankful, Father. shout to him thank you God thank you God where would I be if not for grace thank you father we magnify you Lord we give you the highest praise we honor you we lift you up you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy Worship you, God. Come on, lift it up if you know it. We just thank you, God. Come on, every hand lifted. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. For the ability to be able to come into your house and simply just lay our praises before you. For Father, where would we be if not for your mercy? If not for your grace, where would we be? Some of us will still be strung out on drugs tonight, Father. Some of us should be dead. Some of us should be in jail. Some of us should not be even walking these streets. Some of us should be living in broken homes if not for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your work on the cross. Come on, today's a good, good Friday. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Come on, find two people around you and tell them it's a good, good Friday. 
Come on, find somebody else. Tell them it's a good, good Friday. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Hallelujah. You happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening? I want to, the Lord has just placed a word on my heart tonight. And I want to just preach it exactly how he gave it to me. Amen. Um, Pastor John mentioned it, I believe tomorrow, I think 1 o'clock, they're meeting here at Howard Avenue to pass out flyers. We've been putting it all over Facebook. If you want to be a part of that, just walk on the streets and just inviting people. We're believing God for a mighty move on Easter. Amen. And that God's going to fill the house and, and, and with his presence. And all we got to do is fill it with people. Praise God. Today is what the church has called Good Friday. And, and uh, it's one of the holiest days in the whole Christian calendar. It's the day that Jesus, we commemorate the work of Christ on the cross that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid down his life for, somebody say me. And it doesn't take much to, to, to look across the world and see that there's a need for a savior. There's a need for people who who don't know Christ. And I wish I had an honest person who said, it's easy to see that sin is abounding throughout the world, it would seem. It would seem that everywhere we look, our, our, our world is in an absolute moral decline. This seems to be this endless tide of moral decline that's crossing our nation. We see it in, in, the, in the movements that happen. We see it in the music. We see it in the drug usage. We see it in the, in the sexual activity of our young people. We see it in our presidential race, the disgustingness and the immorality. But where sin abounds, Scripture says grace abounds even more. And I want to preach to you tonight about beholding the Lamb of God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. You see, because of Jesus, there is hope. Because of Christ, we have hope for our situation in our world. We can look around us, and although many might see deprav depravity, and many might see just sinfulness and hopelessness, we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should see hope. You should be able to look at a situation and not see it for what it is, but for what God can make it. You should be able to go up to a person who's lost and confused and a drunkard and know that God can touch their life and transform them. You should be able to know that God can handle depression, that God can handle addictions, and God can handle brokenness. And God recognized our problem. Don't you love the fact that God recognized your condition, your situation, and he knew that you were incapable of saving yourself from sin. And so he sent his only son, as scripture tells us, born of a virgin to live a perfect life and die in our place. And we see that in John chapter 19, my first scripture, verse 28, we see that Jesus did exactly that in John chapter 19. Verse 28 says this, 
and later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is, somebody say, finished. And with that, he had bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Come on, right where you are, just bow your heads, Holy Father. We are in your presence, in your hands tonight. We need you. Let your spirit minister to our hearts and minds. We came in great expectation to see you move and to see you speak to our hearts, to celebrate the work that you did on the cross, and to commune with you tonight. In Jesus' name, the church says, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, man had a condition, a problem of the soul called sin. And because of our sin, we were separated from eternal communion with the Father. I think that today's day and age, many people don't understand really what sin is. And sin, in its simplest terms, is actions or mentalities or things that separate you from communion with God. In other words, sin is an immoral act against God's divine law. Sin is the immoral act against God's divine laws. And so because of our sinfulness, God understood that we would need a Savior. The main thing that Adam and Eve lost in the garden was communion and fellowship with God. And so God had to make a way that we can fall back into relationship with Jesus, the Father. God desired you back. God desired to take us back from this broken fellowship. And in the Old Testament, God sets up a system of animal sacrifices to serve as payments for the sin. He sets it up through his servant Moses, and we call it the Mosaic Law. And he did it through his people who were Israel. And they were to bring lambs before God and animals without spot or blemish, perfect animals, before the Lord and the priest would murder them and he would put their blood on the altar. And this was to be that it would try to pay the price for sins. But scripture tells us animal sacrifices would not suffice. They were not sufficient enough. They were just a picture of the Lamb of God that was to come. They were a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect, sinless life. Jesus goes through every single hardship you would face. Jesus goes through every single problem you would face. He goes through every temptation your life would know. And then he overcomes it by his own deity, his power, his strength, his willfulness. And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. We've all sinned, Romans 3, 23. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you don't understand this, that because of sin, you could never, ever, on your best day, ever, ever get your way into heaven. You could never, ever come to the Father in eternal fellowship and communion because of sin. It was impossible of your own accord. There was nothing in humanity you could do. You could not give enough offering. You could not cross enough widows across the street. You could not help enough orphans. You could not feed enough homeless people. And so is why only through Jesus 
Like he said, no man comes to the Father but through me. There was nothing. You have to recognize the hopelessness of your situation before you can appreciate the depth of his sacrifice. We have a tendency to think that we can do something. Oh, I got this. It's no problem. But when you recognize the utter helplessness of your situation due to sin, it helps you to appreciate the sacrifice more that Jesus made. There was nothing you could do. And by nothing, we mean nothing. It's not like there was most things I couldn't do. There was absolutely nothing that you could ever do. And my first point is very simple. It's Jesus paid a price that you could never pay. And and we hear this in church a lot, but sometimes I believe the depth of it escapes us because we live in such a way as if someone has not paid that debt. But Jesus has paid a debt for us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. If you have your Bible, you should mark it. It says this concerning Jesus. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. And it doesn't doesn't really resonate until you have a, a, a real understanding of what that means he has canceled the debt you see you see if somebody called you and said hey you know that credit card debt there was an error it's canceled you would facebook oh praise god he's canceled my debt won't he do it emoji that's what you would do but when the preacher says he's canceled your debt you're like sounds good pastor lou But he's canceled an eternal debt. What debt is he talking about? I wasn't in debt to God. Yes, you were. It's called sin. And sin, it's like a cup, and it was overflowing, and and your sinfulness before God made you an enemy of God, as the Scripture tells us. And God, on your behalf, sends his son, and Jesus pays this immense price. The Bible calls it a legal indebtedness. You were legally in debt to God because of sinfulness. And God had to punish somebody. Somebody had to pay the price for the sin. And who else but Jesus? And the Bible says he has nailed it to the cross. He has canceled the charges. You see... You see, I, before I came here tonight, I, I went to Walgreens to get diapers for my babies. And I, before I walked in, my wife busted out with a $4 coupon. And I thought, that, that's fantastic. $4 coupon, this is fantastic. I'm going to save some money. And then she gives me her Walgreens card. I got $5 in points, honey. Use the points. Got it. $9 off my purchase. I am already excited. I walk in there, and they're on sale from $13 to $9. Extra excited. I am a big-time money saver. Yeah, I get to the register after everybody and their mother buys cigarettes, and they have to walk around the counter to the other one. I'm just like, oh, my God, I have to get to church and preach to sinners. (laughs) Kidding. And I'm just sitting there, and I get to the counter, and I'm like, Doing this, she's ringing it up, and I haven't given her my card, and the total was like 26 and change. And I'm like, I'm going to get you. (laughs) This is great. But before I give her my coupon or my card, she scans two other coupons worth $4. 
Man, let me tell you, this boy was excited. That junk went from $26 down to $822. But you got more excited about that than when I said Jesus paid your debt. Gotcha. Because I knew you wouldn't. And I got in my car and I was so excited. And I said, honey, you wouldn't believe. Guess what I paid? What'd you pay? That's not a guess, honey. Six dollars. Don't be ridiculous. Eight twenty-two. I was excited because my debt got lowered. How much more joy should the church have because our debt was erased? How much more passion should we have? How much more should we want to introduce people? If you knew a guy who can cancel any debt, wouldn't you want your whole family to know him? That's that's what drives me. I want people's debts to be canceled. So I reach souls. I preach the gospel. Because I want people's lives to be changed. First Peter 2.24, he puts it in a different way. In Peter 2.24, he says these words, and I found it powerful. He himself bore our sins, meaning he carried them in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you've been healed. Jesus paid this debt, and any who would choose to accept Jesus accepts his payment. Anybody who chooses Jesus accepts his payment. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, he said, I got a really great credit score. He said, it's like really high up there. I said, how'd you do it? He said, my wife is white. And I started laughing. He goes, you know, you know once, you, once you go white, your credit is right. And I was like, I was laughing, but it made me think of Jesus. Because once you get in a relationship with Jesus, your debt is cleared. Once you get in a relationship with Jesus, nothing's ever the same. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is white. I'm just saying that when you get into a relationship with Jesus, everything in your life changes. And if it doesn't, you might not have met Jesus. You might have met one of his representatives, but not Jesus. He said, it is finished. Many years ago, I preached a message on that, just it is finished. And it's this Greek word, and that the, the word they use in the text is this word, it's, it's tetelestē, And this word is really simple in its meaning. Archaeologists have found this word on little scrolls all over Rome, all over the empire. And the rest of these, these, these little pieces of papyrus and scrolls that they found, it's a tax receipt. And what it means is the debt has been paid in full. They would put that one word, tetelestē. And Jesus on the cross, before he dies, he says, it is finished. It is paid for. It is done. It is over. And in that moment, he defeats the power of sin over your life. He was not saying that he was finished. He was saying that the the redemptive work is finished. He was not saying I'm about to die. He was saying my purpose is being climactically fulfilled at this moment. He was not saying that it's time to give up. It's over, Peter. It's over, John. Uh, All the rest of you, go home, guys. I'm dying. This is it. He was saying the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he has been made sin 
He who knew no sin, meaning perfect Jesus, he became sin for you and for somebody, say me. Even in the moment of his death, Jesus remained the one who gave up his life. No man took his life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy, but I've come that you may have a life and have it more abundantly. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life. No one took his life. You have to understand this. He laid down his life for you. Jesus paid a debt you could not pay. And and this seems simple enough. It seems simple in that then it is obvious as to why one would want Jesus. Now it becomes abundantly clear why someone needs Jesus. He's a debt-canceling, devil-stopping Jesus. He's a curse-breaking. You know what I'm saying? He's a, it, it, would, it would seem simple. He pays the price. Like This is the kind of guy you want in your life. He's the guy who always gets the bill. Don't worry, guys. I got this one. It's on me. That's Jesus. But the bill is for sin. He always, you would think that people would want Jesus, but sadly, many people don't want Jesus. And what's even sadder is many Christians don't want Jesus. They don't really want Jesus. For Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 18, whoever believes in him, meaning Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're condemned. If you don't believe, you're condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Here's the judgment. That light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. People love darkness over light because their works were evil. Did you, did you see it? Some people love their sin so much they're willing to reject Jesus in order to accept sin. Some people love their sin so much that you may say you love Jesus, but the evidence is in your life. The evidence is how I live my life. Even many of us here, we belittle the cross because we say we believe, but yet our lives don't align with the freedom we are said to have. It's like that friend who says, I got a BMW, but you've never seen him drive it and you've known him 18 years. It's like that friend you have, all of us fellows got. I used to get all the good looking chicks, but you never saw him with a girl. It's like that girl who thinks that she is the best, but you've never seen her look cute. But the thing is, is that we say we love God, but our life never has the evidence of God in us. And we have to come to the grips with the fact that we might love our sinfulness a little bit more than you love God. And the evidence is if you can't let go of sinfulness. If you can't let go. Jesus has come to give you freedom. He's paid the price for you. He's paid the debt for us. I I wish we'd be honest. We like how sin makes us feel. And when I say sin, you might think, well, drunkenness. You might think, well, well, he's talking about, you know, sex outside of marriage, adultery. 
the things that make you physically feel good. But how about sometimes you know it feels good to cuss somebody out? How about sometimes you just like feeling good about gossiping about other people? How about sometimes you feel good when you feel bad towards others? Figure that one out. Sometimes you just like having a bad attitude. Sometimes you just like not letting God change you. But we have to come to grips with this fact. Either we love God or we're going to be workers of sin. We process, we profess rather to love God and we give thanks for the cross, but we go on sinning. Willfully sinning. We exchange the righteousness he offers for sinfulness. We exchange the the freedom for bondage. It's like we're living in a cell whose door is always open saying we're stuck. Do we love him? Do we love him how we say? This This is why you can lie and not feel guilty. It's the reason you can gossip and not care. It's the reason we get mad when the preacher talks about pet sins that we have in our life and call it issues and problems when God calls it sin. And you've been in church three, five, seven, ten years, and you're dealing with pet sins, baby stuff. Is it, it's bad enough the world rejects Christ, but the church should not. It's bad enough that the world throws him away, but we should not. If the sacrifice of Jesus broke the curse of sins, then why are we living in it? You see, number two is really simple. My second point is is very simple. My belief should be displayed in my life. For Jesus said, it is finished. The power of the debtor is off of my life. Not only is the bill paid, but the creditor can no longer come to me because he has no legal right to come to my house. But yet I keep on inviting him in and having supper with him and communing with sinfulness. Not knowing that Christ is calling me out of sin. First Peter 2.24 said he, he died for our sins that we should die to sin that we should live in righteousness. Living in righteousness. It doesn't just mean that I can live how I want and the righteousness of God covers me. It means that I should, after he makes me righteous, walk according to the path of righteousness. Righteousness means to be right standing with God. Were there days that I'll fall? Yes, but I shouldn't be falling every three hours every day. There's a difference between struggling with sin and walking this life where we fall sometimes. We can't love the works of the flesh. We can't stay stuck in the ways of the world. We can't keep giving into the lustful desires of our hearts. He broke the bondage. If he's broken the bondage, then why should I live in it? Why should I wrestle a defeated opponent? We live in a time where we have to come to grips with the truth that many people are fighting somebody who's already been defeated. You're giving power to an enemy who has no power. It's like you lock yourself in a cell and give the devil the key. When Jesus has opened it for you day after day after day, there is freedom you can walk in. You shouldn't be lukewarm for God. You should not be just mediocre with God. You should be on fire because he has canceled all your debts. You should be thankful and fervently so. 
He's called us to live in righteousness that we might die to our sinfulness, that the works of sin would not be in us. But like John declares, many people have loved the darkness over the light. Who is John talking to? John's talking to believers in this gospel. He's explaining the story of Jesus and he's saying, listen, believers, there are many who have chosen darkness over the light. And they've dwelt in the darkness. That's why people can profess to be saved but still lie, still cheat, still covet, still lust, still hate, still not forgive, still gossip, still be gluttonous, still be selfish, given to drunkenness, still doubt God. And the list can go on forever. But where is the evidence of Christ in you? I don't want to condemn you, but I have to open your eyes that darkness should not be in you. For he who walks in the light doesn't walk in the darkness. And why celebrate a cross that we profess but don't live? But the, the, the work of the cross says that we've been set free in our faith in him. Believing by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, it is a free gift. Yes, but you should not go on sinning. Paul said, said we should go on sinning. And he said, no, by no means. We should pursue righteousness pursue it the truth is really hard to swallow the state the truth state that that men love their evil deeds we love our sinfulness sometimes i I don't know if you realize some people are addicted to lying some some people are addicted just to having bad attitudes it's just, it's become so ingrained in us. Well, only Jesus can change me. He already did if you would live it out. If you would walk in it. If you would walk in the freedom he offers you. Well, God's still working. I mean, it's been 10 years. Let him work without your hands in the way. Where is the evidence of our belief in our life? The debt has been paid. And why, why did he pay the debt? He paid the debt so he could be in communion with you to give you salvation, eternal life, and fellowship with the Father. To give you fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with, with God and to say, man, I, I want to be with God. I want to be with him. I want to love him the way he's calling me to love him. I want to know him the way he desires for me to know him. And and what it takes, church, is to make a conscious decision to walk away from everything in my life that doesn't please God. It's not to say that God will deal with me in stages. And don't get me wrong, God will deal with you in stages. But if you have the strength to just walk away from it, to the power of the Holy Spirit, walk away from it. The Bible says if you resist the enemy, he will flee. So what are we to do? If the power of sin is broken over me, what are we to do? How can I celebrate a cross if I'm still living under a curse? How can I do that? I'm living this, this, this life that's diametrically opposed and, and I'm saying that I'm free, but I'm living in a way that it doesn't, there's no evidence of my freedom. I, I still cuss people out all the time. I still hate people all the time. I, 
can still be rude and evil and mean and it not phase me. How, how can God be in us? If that's God in you, I don't want it. But the evidence of God in us is the change in our lives. It's the change that he brings to us. It's the change. It's, it's when your life will never be the same because of the work that Christ has done. It's, it's when you walk away from your old life. The Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. So what are we to do? What are we to do, pastor? I feel bound by the smallest sins. What am I to do? I feel bound by the, by the little things in my life. What am, I, what am I to do? I read this scripture the other day. It really spoke to my heart. And I felt the Holy Spirit just saying, this is what we have to do. Because many Christians, we, we professed repentance in our hearts. But there's a scripture that spoke to my heart so much. And it's John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. And, and Jesus has already been baptized by John. He's, he's already been baptized, and he's coming to John. And in this scripture, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And this, this word, behold, this word, it, it's, it's not just look. That's not, that's not what it means. He was talking to his disciples. After this, many of John's disciples left him. Peter was John's disciple. John, the brother of Peter, they were John's disciples. They left John after this. Why? Because the Bible says that John looked up at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. See, every man had a lamb they were, they were raising at their house. They would spend time with this lamb at their homes and this lamb would end up going to the sacrificial table and this lamb was like a pet to the family because they wanted that family to bond with the lamb so that when they murdered it at the table, when it became their sacrifice, it hurt to lose it. And John says, guys, we've been killing our lambs ever since we left Egypt at the first Passover. You see, it's crazy to me that the first scripture I read, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. For how can he who offers a well that no man would ever run dry be thirsty? He was going through some things. And then the Bible says they took wine, vinegar, and they put it on a stalk of hyssop. And the beauty of this picture is that hyssop is what the Bible says in the book of Exodus when they killed the first lamb in Egypt during Passover. They used the hyssop to put the blood on the doorposts. And they're lifting this to bloody Jesus and they're trying to offer this lamb. But John says, look, it's the lamb of God and maybe he won't be slain tomorrow, but that's the lamb that'll take away the sins of the world. And the people listening knew exactly what John meant. And this is why Peter 
John and Thomas and the other nine disciples, they would spend three and a half years falling in love with Jesus only to lose him at the cross. He says, behold. Meaning, follow him is what this word means. Follow him. Follow his example. If you ever struggle in your walk with God, what what are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, behold the Lamb of God on the cross that takes away the sins of the world. Behold him in his glory. Behold him in his majesty. Behold him as he takes away your sin by taking the suffering that you should have for our sake. Behold him who was beaten and mutilated and a crown of thorns was put on him. Behold him. Behold him. You will never be the same if you truly behold Jesus. Your life would never, ever be the same if you get a hold of really seeing Jesus for all that he has done for you. For I love how the book of Isaiah puts it in chapter 53. He says, who would believe our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He said, who's going to believe Israel that God would send a Savior through this tiny nation? This nation who right now doesn't even exist. They're imprisoned. He says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Meaning Jesus was born in one of the most dry spiritual times in the history of Israel. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing to his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was despised and rejected by mankind. You know, one of the hardest things for a human to do and to go through, you may not know this, but it's, look at the studies. One of the hardest things for a person to come back from is rejection. When you've been rejected, you close up. You don't want no more friends. You've been rejected. When you've been rejected by somebody, a friend, maybe a teacher made you feel rejected and you felt stupid and you didn't want to accomplish anything in school. They said, you'll never do any better than this. And it hurt you. Maybe you were rejected by a husband, a wife, and ended up in divorce and it scarred you. And now you treat everybody with a big wall around you. Because rejection is hard to overcome. But Jesus was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Jesus, a man who came voluntarily on my behalf, he was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. He's like that friend, that he's not really your friend, he's your friend's friend. And you just deal with him because, well, he always brings him around and you don't know why because you don't like him at all. You esteemed him not. Like the person you walk by who says, do you, do, you have a, do you have something for me? you have a quarter? Do you have a dollar? And you walk by because you esteem them not. That person who says, I, I, you know, I just, need, I just need some food. Well, I need food too. You esteem them not. The person you drive by and you say stuff like, well, how did he afford that, that, that poster board? He must got some money. You esteemed him not. When you, when you walk by the bum who has a cigarette and you say, well, you got money for cigarette. You got money for food, right? You esteemed him not. And you said, well, why? If you ain't got no money, why you always smell like liquor? Because, because they drink to keep their bodies overheated so that at night they stay warm. You esteemed them not. You esteemed them not. You 
walk by people in the church who've hurt your feelings. You esteem them not. Jesus was rejected at that level. Think of the person you can't stand the most, even though you shouldn't have anybody you can't stand, and Jesus is that person. And when I said that, everybody thought of somebody. Which means this preaching is for you. Because how can we say we are something when the evidence is not in us? He was esteemed not. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus took us. See, you you and I deserved eternal damnation. That's what we we were headed for, eternal damnation and eternal torture. In the fires of hell, and God did not make hell for you. He made it for Satan and his angels. But when we followed Satan, he was our father, not God. God would never make hell for people he's loved. But when you choose to not have God, you choose eternal separation from God. And do you see what it says here? That they considered him because of the way he died on the cross. He must have done something wrong. He's cursed. They thought that Jesus was cursed, not realizing he was breaking the curse. Behold the Lamb of God. They looked at him and said, this guy must have done something wrong. Let's spit on him. Let's let's whip him more. Let's put the crown of thorns. He's blasphemous, said he was the son of God. He compared himself to God. He called himself an equal of God. He is the devil. They esteemed him not, and they thought that he was punished by God, stricken by God. They thought he was afflicted by God. But he was pierced, meaning nailed to a cross, stabbed on the side. He was pierced for our transgressions. Meaning for all the things that I did wrong, Jesus is punished. He was crushed for our iniquities. And my favorite verse that speaks the most to me in this whole chapter, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. He was punished so that I could have peace. Somebody had to be punished for sin. Somebody had to pay the debt. And Jesus paid. And because what he did, I have peace. The punishment, the old school Bible says the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. He pays this punishment for me by his wounds. We are healed. For each of us, we've turned away. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. And he was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. God, God, I I, I see your son in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. Behold the, 
the Lamb of God. And John sees Jesus in that chapter, and he looks at him, and he's like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. It's really him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold this Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God, who laid down his life for us, that we would no longer deal with sin, that we would no longer have to live under the bondage of sin, we would no longer have to hold grudges, that we would no longer have to hate, that we would no longer have to live in addiction, that we would no longer have to live in depression, that you would no longer have to live with anxiety, that you would no longer have to be imprisoned by any work of Satan, that you would no longer have to deal with gossip and sinfulness, that you would no longer have to deal with lustfulness and deceitfulness, that you would no longer have to deal with the things of the world. He breaks the curse over your life, and when you accept him, you walk in freedom. That's why Paul says in Romans, the way to work this thing is to live by the Spirit of God. Live by Him. John looks at Jesus and he tells his disciples, and John, John lost a lot of his heart after this. He said, listen, see Him? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I feel like the Lord told me to come tonight to tell the church there's some people you need to have a revelation of the Lamb of God in your life. A revelation that this, this Lamb of God was Jesus, that he did die for your sins. It's not just something that's written in a book. It's a historical fact. It's not just something that people say because it sounds good. Someone paid the price for our sinfulness, and it was Jesus. He was beaten, broken, and battered for us. Like that verse says, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. But so many times we allow, we allow the enemy to have a foothold and a stronghold in our lives. We leave doors open listen to certain things and watch certain things and talk in certain ways and do certain things and we refuse to let go of our old ways. It's like some of you are hanging on to old me for dear life and God says, no, I've called you into a new walk, a new thing. You've got to let it go. You've got to walk away from sinfulness. You've got to walk away from hatefulness. You've got to walk away from lying. You've got to walk away from all these things. Why? Because I empower you to do it. And as we behold this Lamb of God, as we behold this Lamb of God, as we begin to follow Him in truth, as we become disciples of the Word, followers of Christ, we'll see our Lamb up there. My Lamb. Because He went from being the Lamb of God to the Lamb of Lewis. He paid my sins. He became the lamb of the Burgos household. And it makes me even more grateful that he, he, he paid the price for my Aria, for my Mila. Paid the price for my niece Savannah, Riley. Paid the price for my godson Bam Bam. Paid the price for my Aunt Carmen. I love him because he paid the price for my brother Melvin, my sister Janet. I won't ever call your sister again. Praise God. I love her. It means more to me to know that God did it not just for me, but for all of us. 
this is, this is why, this is why seeing my family, maybe my distant family lost, breaks my heart because the lamb died for them. This is why seeing my cousins not follow Christ breaks my heart because the lamb died for them. This is why every chance I get, I'll say, hey, you know, I still love you. I'm praying for you. I don't believe in that no more. That's all right. Because just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean God don't believe in you. This is what drives me to love on people. There's guys that come here all the time and they're, they're drug addicts. They're, they're, they're drunks and they'll come and they'll, they'll ask me for money and I'll give it to them because the lamb died for them and I love them. And it's not a show. It's, it's really, I, I love these people. It's why I'll sow my life into a place that many see hopelessness in because I, I love and because the lamb has died. I've had a real revelation of this lamb that died for me. It's why I love harder every day. I, I, I hold no grudges. I always forgive because the lamb, is, he's died for me. It's how my father taught me. My father told me he would wake up every morning and ask God to give him a clean slate with the people who've hurt him the most. And daily he would go through and he would endure as a pastor. And he said, I pray every morning God give me a clean slate for these people. Why? Because I bet you he had a revelation. The lamb died for him. And if the lamb died for him, he died for somebody else too. And how could I hate the people God died for? I've got to love them. I've got to move out of sinfulness. I've got to move out of these things in my life. Would you stand with me tonight? You can lower the house lights for me. If the ministers can prepare themselves, Pastor Carmen's lead. If the prayer team can come forward. I wanted to do communion tonight with you all. We shouldn't take communion lightly. We're going to do it a little different than we've ever done it here before in our church. It's going to be a communion that you come and get. tonight as you come before the church and you just walk up here if it's your first time don't feel uncomfortable because most people don't know it's your first time so you're okay this is in the Catholic church you don't have to come here like this so we're going to touch your head just come and receive your family here and do you know why the lamb died for you and membership don't matter but I want you tonight to come before God every single last one of you because this Sunday we're going to experience something powerful. But how much more powerful if we all approach the throne tonight with clean hearts? How much more powerful if we all approach the Father with clean hearts tonight? How much more powerful if all of us said, God, for the Lord to say, God, root out every ungodly thing in my life. Take out everything that doesn't please you in me. Lord, take out everything that does not work with you. God, take out my hatefulness. God, take out my dirty mouth. God, take out my lustfulness. God, take out everything wrong with me. Take it out, God, that I could walk away from it. Everything that doesn't please you, God, take it away tonight. Let it be tonight a day where you truly look at the Lamb and say, you did this for me, and I thank you. I thank you. For the glory of the Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God.
Pastor Melvin, if you could move right here. That the prayer team can line up here. I thank you, Father. Jamie, Brother Jamie, could you move to that side? Vicki, you move on down. Bless God. Pastor John, they're going to need you on this side over here. Thank you. Tonight, as you come forward, it's really simple. I want you to partake of the Holy Communion. We're going to put you in the hands of the ushers. Megan knows which way to go. You're going to follow Megan. Who else we follow, Megan? Megan and Elder Daniel right here. And all you're going to do is you're going to come up. And before you come up, I want you to analyze your heart. You're going to grab a piece of the bread which represents the body of Christ. And you're going to dip it in the cup which represents the blood of Christ. You don't have to partake of it right then and there. You can wait a couple of seconds. You can stay at the altar and pray. You can receive prayer if you want it. But as you check your heart, say, God, remove everything from me. As you pull it off, remember, the lamb has died for your sins. As you partake, remember, there is a lamb that has was slain for my sinfulness, for all of my mistakes. And tonight, I, I, I come back in communion with him, fellowship with the Father. This was his plan all along, that we would come back in communion with the Father. Lord, we need you tonight. Father, we desire you tonight. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Once the worship team starts singing, the ushers can begin to move and get the aisles ready. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, you see our hearts. You see us, God. Lord, you know every unclean thing in us that your son has already paid the price for. You know everything about us that you hate, that we love. Father, remove it. Convict us tonight, Lord. Open our spiritual eyes that we may see everything in us that does not please you, God. Lord, for you died for us. And tonight we believe, and tonight we celebrate. Tonight we lift you up. We commune with you. Lord, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, that you would move on our behalf tonight. Come on, if you know, with everyone's head bowed, if you know the Lord's talking to you tonight, would you lift your hands and say, God, this is my, my lifted hand just professing. You're speaking to my heart tonight. Some things in me that you want to change. Some things in me you want to work out and weed out of my life. Father, I don't want to be the same after tonight. Lord, I don't want to be the same tonight. To the worship teams about to sing, come to the altar. My prayer is this, that every single one of us would bring ourselves before the altar of God. The altar of the Lamb of God that was slain. And that we would approach the Lord. We would say, God, deal with me tonight. Let this be a holy occasion, a momentous night where I won't be the same after today because I am walking with you, professing you, God, in a way that I never have before. Strengthen us tonight. In Jesus' mighty name.